Section 52 of Up One Pair of Stairs of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Up One Pair of Stairs of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. The Story of Christopher Columbus by Elizabeth Harrison. Once upon a time, far across the great ocean, there lived a little boy named Christopher. The city in which he lived was called Genoa. It was on the coast of the great sea, and from the time that little Christopher could first remember, he had seen boats come and go across the water. I doubt not that he had little boats of his own which he tried to sail, or paddle about on the small pools near his home. Soon after he was old enough to read books, which in those days were very scarce and very much valued, he got hold of an account of the wonderful travels of a man named Marco Polo. Over and over again little Christopher read the marvelous stories told by this old traveler, of the strange cities which he had seen and of the dark-colored people whom he had met, of the queer houses, of the wild and beautiful animals he had encountered of the jewels and perfumes and flowers which he had come across. All day long the thoughts of little Christopher were busy with this strange faraway land which Marco Polo described. All night long he dreamed of the marvelous sights to be seen on those distant shores. Many a time he went down to the water's edge to watch the queer ships as they slowly disappeared in the dim distance, where the sea and sky seemed to meet. He listened eagerly to everything about the sea and the voyages of adventure or of trade which were told by the sailors near. When he was fourteen years old he went to sea with an uncle, who was commander of one of the vessels that came and went from the port of Genoa. For a number of years he thus lived on a vessel, learning everything that he could about the sea. At one time the ship on which he was sailing had a desperate fight with another ship, both took fire and were burned to the water's edge. Christopher Columbus, for that was his full name, only escaped, as did the other sailors, by jumping into the sea and swimming to shore. Still this did not cure him of his love for the ocean life. We find after a time that he left Italy, his native country, and went to live in Portugal, a land near the great sea, whose people were far more venturesome than had been those of Genoa. Here he married a beautiful maiden, whose father had collected a rich store of maps and charts, which showed what was then supposed to be the shape of the earth, and told of strange and wonderful voyages which brave sailors had from time to time dared to make out into the then unknown sea. Most people in those days thought it was certain death to anyone who ventured very far out on the ocean. There were all sorts of queer and absurd ideas afloat as to the shape of the earth. Some people thought it was round and flat like a pancake, and that the waters which surrounded the land gradually changed into mist and vapor, and that he who ventured out into these vapors fell through the mist and clouds down into they knew not where. Others believed that there were huge monsters living in the distant waters, ready to swallow any sailor who was foolish enough to venture near them. But Christopher Columbus had grown to be a very wise and thoughtful man, and from all he could learn from the maps of his father-in-law and the books which he read, 
and from the long talks which he had with some other learned men he grew more and more certain that the world was round like an orange and that by sailing westward from the coast of portugal one could gradually go round the world and find at last the wonderful land of cathay the strange country which lay far beyond the sea the accounts of which had so thrilled him as a boy we of course know that he was right in his belief concerning the shape of the earth but people in those days laughed him to scorn when he spoke of making a voyage out on the vast and fearful ocean in vain he talked and reasoned and argued and drew maps to explain matters the more he proved to his own satisfaction that this must be the shape of the world the more people shook their heads and called him crazy he remembered in his readings of the book of Marco Polo's travels that the people whom he had met were heathen, who knew little about the dear God who had made the world, and nothing at all about his son, Christ Jesus. And as Christopher Columbus loved very dearly the Christian religion, his mind became filled with a longing to carry it across the great seas to this faraway country. The more he thought about it, the more he wanted to go, until his whole life was filled with the one thought of how to get hold of some ships to prove that the earth was round, and that these faraway heathens could be reached. Through some friends he obtained admission to the court of the king of Portugal. Eagerly he told the rich monarch of the great enterprise which filled his heart. It was of little or no use. The king was busy with other affairs, and only listened to the words of Columbus as one might listen to the wind. Year after year passed by. Columbus's wife had died and their one little son, Diego, had grown to be quite a boy. Finally Columbus decided he would leave Portugal and would go over to Spain, a rich country nearby, and see if the Spanish monarchs would not give him boats in which to make his longed-for voyage. The Spanish king was named Ferdinand, and the Spanish queen was a beautiful woman named Isabella. When Columbus told them of his belief that the world was round, and of his desire to help the heathen who lived in this far-off country, they listened attentively to him, for both King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella were very earnest people and very desirous that all the world should become Christian. But their ministers and officers of state persuaded them that the whole thing was a foolish dream. And again Columbus was disappointed in his hope of getting help. Still he did not give up in despair. The thought was too great for that he sent his brother over to England, to see if the English king would not listen to him and give the necessary help. But again he was doomed to disappointment. Only here and there could he find anyone who believed that it was possible for him to sail round the earth, and reach the land on the other side. Long years passed by, Columbus grew pale and thin with waiting and hoping, with planning and longing. Sometimes, as he walked along the streets of the Spanish capital, people would point their fingers at him and say, There goes the crazy old man who thinks the world is round. Again and again Columbus tried to persuade the Spanish king and queen that if they would aid him, his discoveries would bring great honor and riches to their kingdom, and that they would also help the world by spreading the knowledge of Christ and his religion. Nobody believed in him. Nobody was interested in his plan. He grew poorer and poorer. At last he turned his back on the great Spanish court, and in silent despair he took his little son by the hand and walked a long way to a small seaport called Palos, 
where there was a queer old convent in which strangers were often entertained by the kind monks weary and footsore he reached the gate of the convent knocking upon it he asked the porter who answered the summons if he would give little diego a bit of bread and a drink of water while the two tired travellers were resting as the little boy ate his dry crust of bread the prior of the convent a man of thought and learning whose name was juan perez came by and at once saw that these two were no common beggars he invited them in and questioned columbus closely about his past life he listened quietly and thoughtfully to columbus and his plan of crossing the ocean and converting the heathen to christianity juan perez had at one time been a very intimate friend of queen isabella in fact the priest to whom she told all her sorrows and troubles after a long talk with columbus in which he was convinced that columbus was right he borrowed a mule and getting on his back rode for many miles across the open country to the palace in which the queen was then staying i do not know how he convinced her of the truth of columbus's plan when all the ministers and courtiers and statesmen about her considered it a foolish and silly dream of an old man but somehow he did it he then returned on his mule to the old convent at palos and told columbus to go back once more to the court of spain and again petitioned the queen to give him money with which to make his voyage of discovery the state treasurer said the queen had no money to spare but this noble-hearted woman who now for the first time realized that it was a grand and glorious thing columbus wished to do said she would give her crown jewels for money with which to start columbus on his dangerous journey across the great ocean this meant much in those days as queens were scarcely considered dignified if they did not wear crowns of gold inlaid with bright jewels on all public occasions but queen isabella cared far more to send the gospel of christ over to the heathen than how she might look or what other people might say about her with a glad heart columbus hastened back to the little town of palos where he had left his young son with the kind priest juan perez but now a new difficulty arose enough sailors could not be found who would venture their lives by going out on this unknown voyage with a crazy man such as columbus was thought to be at last the convicts from the prisons were given liberty by the queen on condition that they would go with the sailors and columbus so you see it was not altogether a very nice crew still it was the best he could get and columbus's heart was so filled with the great work that he was willing to undertake the voyage no matter how great or how many the difficulties might be the ships were filled with food and other provisions for a long long voyage nobody knew how long it would be before the land on the other side could be reached and many people thought there was no possible hope of its ever being found early one summer morning even before the sun had risen columbus bade farewell to the few friends who had gathered at the little seaport of palos to say good-bye to him the ships spread their sails and started on the great untried voyage there were three boats none of which we would think nowadays was large enough or strong enough to dare venture out of sight and help of land and run the risk of encountering the storms of mid-ocean the names of the boats were the santa maria which was the one that columbus himself commanded and two smaller boats one named the pinta and the other the nina strange indeed must the sailors have felt 
as hour after hour they drifted out into the great unknown waters which no man ever ventured into before soon all land faded from their sight and on and on and on they went not knowing where or how the voyage would end columbus alone was filled with hope feeling quite sure that in time he would reach the never-before-visited shores of a new world on and on they sailed day after day far beyond the utmost point which sailors had ever before reached many of the men were filled with a strange dread and begged and pleaded to return home still on and on they went each day taking them further and further from all they had ever known or loved before day after day passed and week after week until two months had elapsed the provisions which they had brought with them were getting scarce the men grew angry with columbus and threatened to take his life if he did not command the ships to be turned back toward spain but his patience did not give out nor was his faith one whit less he cheered the hearts of the men as best he could he promised a rich reward to the first man who should discover land this somewhat renewed their courage day and night watches were set and the western horizon before them was scanned at all hours time and again they thought they saw land ahead only to find they had mistaken a cloud upon the horizon for the longed-for shore flocks of birds flying westward began to be seen this gave some ground for hope for surely the birds must be flying toward some land where they could find food and trees in which to build their nests still fear was great in the hearts of all and columbus knew that if land did not appear soon his men would compel him to turn around whether he wished to or not then he thought of all the heathen who had never heard of god's message of love to man through christ and he prayed almost incessantly that courage might be given him to go on hour after hour he looked across the blue water day and night longing for the sight of land at last one night as he sat upon the deck of the ship he was quite sure that a faint light glimmered for a few moments in the distant darkness ahead where there is a light there must be land he thought still he was not sure so he called one of the more faithful sailors to him and asked him what he saw the sailor exclaimed a light a light another sailor was called but by this time the light had disappeared so the sailor saw nothing and columbus's hopes again sank about two o'clock that night the commander of one of the other boats started the cry land land ahead you can well imagine how the shout was taken up and how the sailors one and all rushed to the edge of their ships leaning far over and straining their eyes for the almost unhoped-for sight early the next morning some one of the sailors picked up a branch of a strange tree lodged in the midst of which was a tiny bird's nest this was sure evidence that they were indeed near land for branches of trees do not grow in water little by little the land came in sight first it looked like a dim ghost of a shore but gradually it grew distinct and clear about noon the next day the keel of columbus's boat ground upon the sand of the newly discovered country no white man had ever before set eyes upon it no ship had ever before touched this coast at last after a long life of working and studying of hoping and planning of trying and failing and trying yet again he had realized his dream 
the great mystery of the ocean was revealed and columbus had achieved a glory which would last as long as the world lasted he had given a new world to mankind he had reached the far distant country across the ocean which scarcely any of his countrymen had even believed to have any existence he now knew that the whole round world could in time have the christian religion he sprang upon the shore and dropping on his knees he first stooped and kissed the ground and then he offered a fervent prayer of thanks to god a learned man who had come with him across the water next planted the flag of spain upon the unknown land and claimed the newly discovered country in the name of king ferdinand and queen isabella wonderful wonderful indeed were the things which columbus and the sailors now saw strange naked men and women of a copper or bronze color strange new birds with gorgeous tails that glittered like gems such as they had never seen before beautiful and unknown fruits and flowers met their gaze on every side the savages were kind and gentle and brought them food and water do you know my dear children that this strange wild savage country which columbus had traveled so far and so long to discover was our country america end of section fifty two recording by pamela crantz